0: Lord, we just come before you. We thank you for this opportunity to, to worship you in the word. ask you to guide and lead us as we look at these, the psalm today and that you would show us what you would have us to see in your son's precious name. Amen. Psalm 107. We got about halfway through with it last week, and we're going to try to finish it this week. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy, and gathered them out of the lands, and from the east, and from the west, and from the north, and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses, and he led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city of habitation, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness, such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron, because they rebelled against the words of the Lord and condemned the counsel of the most high. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor, they fell down and there was none to help them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of the darkness, now the shadow of death, and broke their bands asunder. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men. For he has broken down the gates of brass and cut down the bars of iron asunder. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Their soul abhorreth all manner of meat, and they draw near the gates of death. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saves them out of their distresses. And he sent his word, and healed them, and delivered them out of their distresses. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men. And let them sacrifice the sacrifice of thanksgiving, and declare his works with rejoicing. They that go down to the sea in ships that do business in the great waters, see these works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep, for he commands the right rising of the storm, stormy wind and lifts up the waves thereof. They mount up into heaven and they go down into the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like drunken men and are at their wits ends. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble and he brings them out of their distresses. He makes the storm a calm so that the waves thereof are still. Then they are glad because... They be quiet, so he brings them to their desired haven. Oh, that men should praise the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works unto the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turns rivers into wilderness and water springs into dry ground, the fruitful land into barrenness for the wickedness of of them that dwell thereof. He turns the wilderness into standing water and, and dry ground into water springs. And there he makes the hungry to dwell that they may prepare a city for habitation. And sow the fields and plant vineyards which they may yield fruits of increase. He blesses them also so that they are multiplied greatly and suffer not their cattle to de- to decrease. Again they are minished and brought low though through opposition, affliction, and sorrow. He pours contempt upon princes and causes them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. He sets up the poor on the high from affliction and makes his... His family is a flock. The righteous shall see and rejoice, and all the iniquity shall stop her mouth. Whoso is wise and and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of God. And we mentioned last week that there's a chorus that goes in this all through this. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and His wondrous works to the children of men. And we've covered most of those already this last week. So we're going to be starting off here in verse 22, and it says, And let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving, and declare the works with re- his works with rejoicing. So he says, let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving. And this is a specific thanksgiving offering that people were to give. They could do it free will. It was one of those free will offerings. And they were able to go before God. And if you remember when we were studying in the book of Exodus, Leviticus, uh, we, we talked about that kind of being the picnic with God. They, they got to get most of it back. The priest got a piece of the, of the meat. God got a little bit of it burned. And they got given about half of it back. And it had to be eaten within two days. One day if it for certain reasons and two days otherwise. And basically they would go and they would celebrate with all their friends and and family and have a great big party because they have this big side of beef to get consumed before, before the time expired. And it says, let them sacrifice with thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. And this rejoicing is that idea of the ringing cry. And we described it last time we talked about it as... If you've ever been near a stadium and you hear that cry out of the stadium that you can hear for miles away, if you've ever lived near a big, big uh, stadium, you can hear the cry out, you know, people rejoicing that their team's winning. And uh, this is that type of noise. It's a ringing cry. It's that war cry, that that cry that is heard from, you know, not just a short distance, but you hear it a long ways because a lot of people are bringing it out. Then it goes into this very interesting description. And part of this description, it's poetic. And you have to understand that Jews in general have never been seafaring people. So they look at the sea as nothing but trouble. Uh, the times that they have tried to go out to sea, because they're pretty much landlocked, you know, when they go out to sea, they always had to hire other people to be there. Uh, sailors and everything, and many times they got lost at sea, so they got a place where going to sea was not a very popular thing with them, and we're going to see that here. Verse 23, they that go down to the sea in ships, that do business on the great waters, these see the works of the Lord and the wonders of His uh, in the deep. And so he's talking about how they view the oceans, the seas, and If anybody's lived anywhere near the ocean or the seas, you know that you can have large waves. And if you get out away from the beach, you can have really large waves. And so he's going to describe these. And here it says in verse 25, For he commands, and and the rising of the stormy wind, and the lifting up of the waves thereof. So he's picturing some kind of storm at sea. And we think about this when Jesus was with the disciples, and he says, "We're going to the other side," and they get in a boat, and all of a sudden a storm comes up, and the disciples wake him up. You know, and you know we sometimes make fun of it because Jesus, you know, said, "Oh, you of little faith," you know, but you've got to remember that these were you know, many of his disciples were used to being on the water. They knew from from sight that the boat was sinking. Okay, they weren't in, they weren't in a non non uh, real panic they were looking the storm is bigger you know the, the waves are bigger than the boat the waves are crashing into the boat and the boat is in trouble but Jesus says you know what's your problem I said we're going to the other side you know, and, and he speaks and the storm listens to him and this is what the psalmist says he speaks and the storm comes up And it says, verse 26, they mount up to the heaven and they go down again to the depths and their soul melts because of the trouble. This is, again, poetic speech. How many times have we been in a storm of life? We go from the high, high to a very low place in life. And oftentimes we feel like there's just no end. And this is what he's describing. God, you're you're casting me up. Everything looks good. And then all of a sudden I'm crashing down and the waves seem to be crashing down on me. Up and down, up and down that we go. And this is one of the reasons that we need to be hidden in Christ and let Him take the beating of the storm upon Himself. Because if we try to get through the storms of life on our own, it's amazing how rough we feel. And we all we gotta do is remember what you know when we're not focused on God, how much the storms seem to affect us. We sang that song tomorrow, you know, turn your eyes upon Jesus, you know. If we focus on Him, then everything else in this world seems to fade away. Why? Because we're hidden in Him. He's the one that's taken the storm. And we've talked about this all through the book of Psalms, and you know, primarily, hide in the Lord. He is our refuge. He is our strong tower. He's our buckler. He's our shield. He wants to take the, the pounding of the storm, and He's big enough that the storm doesn't affect Him at all. And we just sit in there and i think about this if you ever sat in a nice sturdy building listening to the storm outside maybe even watching the lightning and thunder outside as long as you're nice and safe inside the house it's not a big deal and you watch the storm you watch the t- the trees sway in and you hear the you hear the storm and the wind but you don't have any problems because you're in a building that you know is not going to blow away and kind of like this kind of a building built out of stone and 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 stuff there's no storm that's going to knock this building down. Now, uh, earthquake could come along and knock it down. A lot of things could make it fall down, but a storm is not going to knock this building down. And we want, you might take the roof, <laughs> but it's not going to knock the building down. And this is what God is saying. He is our refuge. He's our tower. If we're hiding in him, we have nothing to fear. We don't even have to worry about these kinds of storms because he is the one that'll keep it even, And I've described this. How many times have you walked through a storm in your life with your eyes focused on God and hiding in God and you kind of get through the end of it and you kind of look back and say, what's all that damage back there? I hadn't even noticed that I was in a storm or barely noticed that I was in a storm. And you look back and it was, or you think back over it, it was horrendous what happened. But God, you were focused on God and God protected you. He kept you in the calm of the storm and protected in him. And this is what he's talking about. He goes out and you get into that storm. They mount up. In verse 27, they reel to and fro and stagger like drunken men and are at their wit's end. And this is pretty much a picture of a pretty bad storm. Uh, There are people that think that any boat ride is that kind of ride. But, you know, because it pitches and rolls and, and goes up and down. And the bigger the boat is, the less you the less you feel the storm the less, um, based on a bigger storm. But he says, if you're focused on the storm, you're going to come to your wit's end. You're going to really get to the place where you are not able to make it through. And this is, who are we focused on again? Are we focused on the clamor of the storm and the bad, hard times? Or are we focused on and if we're focused on God, verse 29 becomes our key. He makes the storm a calm so that the waves thereof are still. One of the greatest things for us is to focus on God and stay focused on Him. And we know what that's like. If you've ever been in a day when you start your day, you get in the Bible, you get into prayer, you, and everything is focused on God, the day is wonderful, no matter what happens. And I like to tell people, I choose to follow God, and I'm not going to have any bad days. Circumstances are not going to give me a bad day. Now, some days are better than others. (laughs) Some days are easier to get through than others. But oftentimes, I just say, okay, God, I don't understand this, but I'm going to focus on you. Show me what it is that you want done today. And when we focus in on him, things go a lot smoother. And this is one of the great things. How do we start our day? Do we start our day with God or do we start our day on our own? Usually when I forget about God, my day is pretty rough. Until I finally say, God, I kind of forgot to put you in the middle of my day and put him back in where he belongs. Other days when, I, when you pray and you read in the scriptures and you put God first, it's everything is focused on God. I can't remember if it was Francis of Assisi or Martin Luther who was asked, you know, you've got a hard day. He's, he said, I've got such a hard day. I've got to get up two hours earlier to pray. And it wasn't so that he would pray less time. It, he continued to pray his normal time, but he needed, he says, I'm going to focus on God more because I have a busy day. Not I've got to get up two hours earlier so I can stop praying earlier. He continued the whole time. He just added more prayer his day so he would be focused on God completely for the rest of the chaotic day. An amazing amazing thought. You know, yeah. Most of us would say, oh, I've got to get up two hours earlier so I have that extra two hours. But he was saying, no, instead of, the, instead of the one or two hours he prayed, I'm going to pray another two hours. But it's really important because it says in verse 29, he makes the storm a calm. He stills the storm and the waves there are, are still. He is the one that will make our life smoothed out. And whether it just is that he, he takes the burden of the, the storm or he literally smooths them out, I've never been able to figure out which, which way is true. But it really doesn't matter to me. If he's the one taking the brunt of the storm and I'm just you know, sitting there in comfort, that's fine by me. If he actually literally takes the storm away, that's fine too. He's capable of either one and has done both for me. Or at least it appears that he's done both for me. But either way, I've gone through the storm without being scathed because he is the one that protects. And this is why we can focus in on God and walk a simple life. Because we stay focused on him and he's the one that leads. He's the one that guides. He's the one that protects and this is why people will say, well, you just have a crutch with God. And I'll go, I praise God for my crutch with God. I'll, be, I'll take him any day over drugs and alcohol and work and, and all the stuff that you want to use as your crutch. I'll, I'll use God any day because he brings joy. He brings happiness. He brings fulfillment. And none of those other things do. So if you want to say that God's nothing but a crutch, I don't, I'm not going to sit there and argue with people over that. I just like my crutch better than they like their crutch. And I've used that with people. I'm going, so what's your crutch to get through life? How much are you drinking? How much drugs are you using? How much how much worry are you doing to get through life? And I'll just rest in God? You know. And there's all kinds of ways that people use that crutch. You know, it can be anywhere from, like I say, drugs or alcohol to try to forget. It can be worried. I'm so worried about everything. It could be I'm getting myself involved in work and it's so much that I'm going to try to fulfill myself of work or status or whatever it might be, people have a crutch that they depend on. And if, I want, if they want to say that, that God's a crutch, I'll take that. Because I just want to hide in him and let him give me that peace. And it's not a problem to me. Verse 30 says, then, and that means there's coming to a conclusion, then they are glad because they be quiet. So he brought them into their desired haven. We are glad because of the quietness that God sends us, the stillness, the calm, the peacefulness, and he brings us into the desired haven. Now if you're if you're into sailing and, and stuff, you know that when you're out at sea, you enjoy, most sailors enjoy being out at sea. But what they're really looking for is getting to their destination where the trials and tribulation of the sea <laughs> cease. Because as much as they enjoy being out at sea, When the storm hits and you're at sea, it's not a place to be. So they're looking forward to the day they get to the desired destination. A port. And it says, He provides our uh, desired destination. And isn't it wonderful when you're watching God and He brings you into a desired destination? Maybe not the destination you wanted to go to, but the one that He knows you need. And sometimes that means trials and tribulations, but he brings you through them. Sometimes it's that peaceful, as David said in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. God brings us into those times, he also takes us through the valley of the shadow of death, but he is the one leading, he guides, he gives us peace by doing all of this. And here he's saying, you get to the end of the storm and God brings you into a peaceful haven. And this is true all the time. When we go through all the trials that we go through, we go through all the tribulation that we go through, God's got a desired purpose for it. He's bringing us to a desired end. And all we've got to do is look around and say, God, what is it you want me to do? What is it that you want me to do? And how many times do we look at God and say, God, I'm over here. Get over here and help me. And God says, but I'm over here doing a work that you're supposed to be doing. Get over here. We as humans love to try to tell God, come and do what we want. Instead of, God, you are in charge. I want to do what you want, us, want to do. And he says, God will bring them to their desired end. Then we go into the chorus. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to, to the children of men. Do we praise God for what he has done for us? Do we share what he's done for us? One of the greatest things about Testimony of Time is for people to share, this is what God has done. And we need to be sharing with one another. It helps build faith. God has done this. God taught me this. God showed me this. God did this, you know, this week. And we share it. We praise God for it. And that's what it says, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wondrous works to his children. We also want to share with other people as well that yeah. say that. But that's what he's wanting. God is wanting to be exalted and lifted up. He wants, us to, he wants us to acknowledge that he is the one doing much of what happens to us. And if it's good, it comes from God. You know, God is good, and all the time, God is good. We've got to keep that in remembrance because he is good. Because everything God does for us is good. Even when we think it's not good, it's still good. Because that's his promise. All things work together for good that are called, for those that are called according to the purpose of God. Everything that happens to us, no matter how bad we think it is at the moment that it's happening, is for good. And then the more we truly believe that, the better off we're going to be as we go forward with it because he is going to take and look at us and say, it was all for your good. And how does it for good? Because he knows everything. He knows how it's going to be used to lift us up, build us up, train us, make it so that we can have empathy for other people. Whatever it might be, he says, this will be what you need. Whether our, And this is why I keep saying when I say these things, When when we encounter things that seem bad, we need to come to the conclusion that God knows what he's doing. Because he does. And when he does things, it's for our good and it's for good, even when it seems like a terrible thing. And we need to exalt him for that. Verse 32. Let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. And here he's talking again, exalt. That's a strong word. Lift up in a mighty way. Lift him up also in the congregation of the people and praise him to be, to be brought up high, to, to magnify in the assembly of the elders. God is looking to be worshipped, exalted, and praised in all that goes on. And why? Why? because he is great he is good and he wants us to recognize that he is great and that he is good when we pray and he answers our prayers we need to be saying thank you god for the answer to this prayer how many times do we forget to say thank you to god probably more times than we than we dare to even try to calculate to be able to say to god you are good you are the one that answered these prayers you are the one that cares and god is saying Yes, I want to be the one that that you're you're lifting up. And it says, exalt him also in the congregation of the people, the assembly of the people, the convocation. Basically, the church. The gathering of the like-minded people. In Greek, it's ecclesia, which is a gathering together of people for the same purpose. It was used for a political assembly or a religious assembly. But it was the gathering of people that had, to, had the place to, to be looking at. Here he says, the congregation of his people. And it says, then he goes into an interesting picture here. He turns rivers into wilderness and water springs into dry ground. The fruitful land into barrenness for the wickedness of, of them that dwell therein. God says that when people live unrighteous lives, their wickedness, that he changes everything. They may have all this land flowing with rivers and wellsprings and fertile ground. And he says, for the wicked, he will change them to barrenness. And this is why we talk about oftentimes, when we look at the wicked, sometimes we think, boy, they've got everything. They've got their whole lives put together. You know, look at all the blessings they've got. And God's saying, no, I've, I'm, I'm giving them dryness they're not happy with what they have they it is not fulfilling what they are you think that they would that everything is being rivers of water for them and springs of water and that everything is blooming and looking good for them and they're unsatisfied they're dry they're thirsty have you ever been in that place where you're dry and thirsty and looking for looking for something and you don't know what it is until you turn to god because nothing seems to be fulfilling and you know, this is what happens. You you're a workaholic, and you think that if I just make it to the top of the business world, I'll be I'll be happy. And you make it, you cl- claw and climb your way up there, thinking that you're going to be happy. And you finally get to whatever level it is you wanted to get to, and you go, well, well, wow, there's this is empty. It's dry. We see this with athletes and and musicians and and actors and actresses. They make it to the top of the pinnacle, and they go. Well, this isn't what I thought it would be. You well, know, the people seem to like me, but they don't like me. They like who I portray on the movies. And you got whole people, whole groups of people that follow their, their acting career and think that they're something they're not. You know, the wealthy person always wonders, do people like me because of my money or do they like me? The, the, well, the person who's leading a business, do they, are they liking me or are they afraid of me because I'm the, the boss? always then you always second guess yourself it's all turned into barrenness and dryness and it's like eating sawdust I used to love nature shows but now every nature show starts out with millions of years ago this this that and the other thing and it's just for all the good they give you they give you a ton of garbage to go with it this is why it's very hard to be watching these kind of things we were talking earlier today in one of the groups I was with but we were talking about the History Channel and everything, and how they will report biblical stuff. Now, I don't know what version of the Bible these, these things quote, because I've never found the words that they quote in the Bible. I can't even find it in the Hebrew or the Greek versions of the Bible. And they build whole cases on these things that aren't quoted correctly. And then people believe what they're told because they supposedly quoted the Bible. And they don't know the Bible well enough to know that they didn't quote the Bible correctly. And they build these great big, wonderful stories that are stories. So they're making it up. They're making most of what they make they quote is totally made up. Not all of it, but enough of it to be very irritating when they they build these long, you know, things that are not biblical. And this is one of my concerns with Christians when they watch these things is if they don't know the word of God well enough, they're going to be sucked into these lies. And we get we get sucked into these lies of of science and you know, quote unquote science. And we are have to be very careful to study and be a workman approved and knowing what we believe, why we believe it, so that when we get hit with these lies from from Satan that are supposed to be sound All these experts are telling you these things. We need to be careful. and You need to be very careful when anybody says they're an expert in the first place. Because they're an expert in something that somebody taught them in most cases. And it's not usually God that taught them. Archaeologists have taken the Bible, or many of them, dug where the Bible describes and found exactly what the Bible said would be there. So, yes, there are very much true statements that people have found things where God says to find them. Are things we can say absolutely are true and follow through? And there's other things that we can't be able to say. Nobody, I don't think, is going to be able to find the Garden of Eden because we just don't know. He floated on the water for a, for close to a year. Okay, Where does that mean he started? Who knows where he started when he started? All we know is that he landed somewhere near the Fertile Crescent because that's where everybody ended up headed to. We want to just be careful of what how dogmatic we'll be about that. We know that the Fertile Crescent was the foundation of mankind after the flood, because Babel's there, Babylon is there, uh, they renamed everything with the same names as they have, so we know that things started there as far as history, current history goes. That's about as far as we can go. Uh, Beyond, beyond all that, we don't know. But we know that, back to where we were looking at, God takes and causes dryness in those who are not being obedient to him. And we've been there ourselves probably. If we have not been obedient to God, he brings dryness into our life. Why? Because he's the living water. He is the living water. And without him, there will not be life. We cannot have life in the spiritual realm without God being part of it. And this is what drives people to seek God because they're dry, they're thirsty, they're trying to find it. And oftentimes they try to find it without turning to Him. And it says, your wickedness will bring this dryness. God purposely dries up their life and makes it shriveled and worthless. And if you don't want to focus on Him, All you're doing is feeding on ashes and sand and and dryness. And God purposely does that. Then in verse 35, he turns it around to the righteous. He turns the wilderness into standing water and dry ground into a water spring. He makes the hungry to dwell and they prepare a city of habitation. They sow the fields and plant vineyards which yield fruits to increase. He blesses them also and they are multiplied greatly and suffer not their cattle to decrease the blessings of obedience. And how many times have you just turned to God and said, God, I need help. I've ask for forgiveness. And all of a sudden, it seems like everything changes overnight. You know, you just watch the, the refreshingness of coming to God and just God giving you the peace that comes along with turning to him. And everything seems to be changed overnight. Nothing changes in many cases but your attitude toward it does. Have you ever prayed, God, I need help to get through this situation and he just steps into the situation. The situation's still there many times. God, my children are being a pain in the neck to me and God says, okay, I'll take care of it. You just rest in me. There's still a pain in the neck. They're still doing the same things, but you don't feel the pressure that you did because God says, I'm in control. You just, you just quit worrying about it. I'm the one that's going to handle this. And we stay that way as long as we don't try to take it back from him. And this is what God is saying. He puts the water in the dry places. He changes the dry place into a, a place of abundance. And many times when we turn to God, the problem doesn't disappear, but God shows us the way out. He shows us how to rest in the problem. And when we rest in the problem, the world looks at us and says, how can you be so calm in the middle of the problem? Because they can't be calm in the middle of the problem. We weren't able to stay calm in the middle of the problem without turning to God. But when we've turned to God, He calms the sea. The problem may still be there, but He's the one that says, you're in the middle of a calm. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to lead you. And when you're trusting in the God of the universe to solve problems, it's wonderful. It's wonderful that, that when you're sitting in there in the middle of a problem, it's amazing that God, God will let other people worry for you all the time for you trying to fix this problem. It's, it happens all the time, <laughs> whether he does it or not, but I don't know. But Everybody else will always worry more about your problems when you're focused on God than you are. Now, how are you going to do this? How are you going to do this? How are you gonna, What about this? What about that? It's all God's, God's problem, not mine. You know, but and I'm not sure it's a good thing that they do that because I think Satan is trying to use you to, use them to get you focused on the problems rather than focused on God. but and God will send you plenty of worry you know, you, Satan will send you plenty of warriors for you. you don't have to worry. There's God, Satan will send them to you and all you need to do is go God's in control. I don't need, I don't need anything. I don't need any of these things that you're worrying about. God will take care of everything. It doesn't mean I don't do anything. It doesn't mean I just kind of sit back and say, okay, God, I'm waiting for you to dump the, the answer over my head. And you know. But God will say, now is the time to move, and we need to listen. We need to be ready to move when he says to move, just as he did with the children of Israel wandering through the wilderness for 40 years. The cloud moved, they moved. The cloud stood still, they stood still. <laughs> but he led them very visibly. Uh, we just need to be willing to listen. God, how do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And walk with them when the time comes because He will give us the water. He will give us the wellsprings. And it will create a city. Have you ever felt that you were just established in a city within your soul? That everything was calm. Everything was being built up. Everything was going right. A huge environment was building up around you and God was just saying, be at peace. I'm going to feed you, I'm going to take care of you, I'm going to honor everything that you need is going to be right here. Just be calm. Most people, when they have troubles, if they're not with God, and they're in the dry, dryness, run away from their troubles, or try to run away from their troubles, whether it's through drugs and alcohol or literally running away. There are, I've known people who every time things get hard, they move. You know, things get a little rough, they move, move someplace. And we're not talking about business reasons or anything, but they just you know, run away. They change jobs, they, they, whatever it is, things are going bad. And the sad thing is what they find out is the person who's the problem is themselves usually. You know, them with them. And they take their problem with them. And they have the same, you know, it's good for a little while until people get to know you and see that you're the problem. Uh, there's pastors who keep moving from church to church to church because you know, their people are just too much troublesome for them. And they have a good time for the first year or two, and then the people get to be a burden, and they'll move to another church. You know, you know, common sense might tell you that if you have the same problem in every church you go to, that it's not the people that are a problem, it's probably you, the way you're doing things. You know, but I've seen it also in the business world. People will move from job to job because all of a sudden it's just the same problems they had before, and they'll move to the next job, they'll move to the next job, we need to be very careful that we just sit back and say, God, help me. You tell me when to move. Is there a time to move sometimes? Yes. But God needs to be the one telling you to move. God needs to be the one telling you to change the job, change the, change the location, change this, whatever it might be. Is there times to change churches? Yes, there's times to change churches, but not near as often as most people do. You know, we got people we call church hoppers. Every three to five years, they're going to go to a different church. Why? Probably because they just don't like what the pastor's preaching. And they go, Well, I don't like this. I, mean, I know it might be good for me, and that might be something that I should be listening to, but I'm going to go to another church because I'm just not happy hearing these messages. And they'll go to another church, and after about three to five years, they'll go, Well, I just don't like this, pastor, this. And they'll find all kinds of reasons why the pastor or the church are not good. And they'll go to the next one. I'm not leaving unless God tells me to. But God is the one that blesses. It says, and and you shall sow fields and plant vineyards, and they shall yield their increase. He blesses them, and they are multiplied greatly, and their cattle do not suffer. When God plants us in a place, and we are walking in that, great blessings will follow. Will follow. Does that mean everything's going to be perfect? No, nothing is ever all perfect but if we're focused on him we still again we won't be in the middle of the storm and we will be enjoying our benefits we will sow the fields we will reap from those fields and that means investing into people's lives we need to be investing into people's lives and I've been sharing this been a theme a lot that I've been thinking of is who are we ministering to in our life who ministers to us and who are we ministering to This is something we all must have somebody doing. We have to have somebody who is the one that teaches us, trains us, disciples us. But we need to be reaching to somebody else and teaching and discipling them. Period. It's what we're called to do. The Great Commission says, go and make disciples. And when we need to look at who are we discipling, who are we pouring into their life to teach them to walk better with God? Because every one of us has somebody that we can help. Some more than others. Now, some have been matured. They've been walking with God for a long time. And they have a lot to pour into just about anybody's life. If you're new in Christ and you're new at being discipled, you still know more than somebody else who's new, new in Christ. And you can pour into their life what, what you have to give. As you've learned to be able to walk with God and love people, you encourage others to be able to do that for them. That has been my experience. Every time I pray for somebody, he changes me. So I'm trying to get better at God changed me because that's been my experiences. Now in the process, he changes the other person and I know that he changes the other person, but I think he changes us more than he changes them. We're his children and he's going to say, I want you to learn, you to learn. I want you to learn to love. I want you to learn to be forgiving. I want you to learn to be merciful. And as we, do, as we learn that, we, the other people will change, but it also is our attitude toward them changes so that they no longer irritate us. Yes. Our attitude is the one that changes, and God says, I want you to learn to love the way I love. I want you to learn to forgive the way I forgive. Yes. And as you're learning it, He's going to put the people in your path that are going to challenge, do you truly love? Do you truly forgive? Do you truly have mercy for people? And for us as Christians... Do we look at the world and judge them, or are we loving them because God loves them? You know, when we look at a, somebody who's living a sinful lifestyle, we should not be standing in judgment of them because they're headed to hell if they don't change their lifestyle. We cannot be sitting there in judgment of them. Number one, they don't know anybody, and they don't have the strength to do anything else if they don't know God. So we need to be loving them and saying, God loves you, and I love you. I want to see you turn yourself over to God. And there's a beauty in that. And one of the greatest things you can have anybody say to you is, I don't feel judged when I'm around you. I feel the love of God. And we need to be able to express that love to the people who have, who are the, world, the rest of the world doesn't love because they look at them and say, well, you're just not worth anything. Well, none of us are worth anything without God in the first place. And we need to look at that and say, I want to show you God's love. I'm not sitting there and standing in condemnation of you because the world cannot live godly in their own strength. We need to bring them to Christ and then he can help them start living godly. Until then they will not cannot live godly and if we're trying to make the world godly before we're willing to show them God's love we've got the program backwards. We, God loved us before we were lovable we can do no less to the rest of the world we must love them the way God loves them and show them God's love because that's the only way they're going to see it and then once they come to Christ we can start working on this is how you now live this is the way God wants you to live and this is what God says but we still love them Because without that love, you're not going to be drawn to him. We love him because he first loved us, we're told in in 1 John. We would not have come to God if it wasn't for his love being demonstrated to us through Jesus Christ's sacrifice. We can do no less when we're ministering with people. We must show them God's love, even when they're very irritating to us. (laughs) Even when they're doing all the things that we hate, we still need to show them God's love. When they're doing things that drive us up the wall, (laughs) we need to be able to show them God's love. That doesn't mean that we say that everything they're doing is okay, but we show them God's love and we very lovingly say it's not acceptable, it's not right, because they need to understand that it is sin. Mm -hmm. There are sins, there are things that they need to correct, but we need to be very careful how we do this most christians especially in america have this idea that well once you get good enough we'll give you the gospel and you can accept jesus christ you know and we well when that when that thief gets you know stops stealing then i'll give him the gospel when that guy who's rough and and hard stops being rough and hard i'll talk to him about the gospel when that homosexual stops acting out their lifestyle i'll go talk to them no that's not the way we need to be ministering to people we need to go to them and share the love of god and the and the gospel message because most of them have a hard front up there but they're they're dying for an answer mm-hmm. they're dying to get the truth poured into them they don't know what the truth is they don't know how to handle it but they will respond to the truth when it's presented to them eventually <laughs> Maybe not the first time, second time, third time, fourth time, fifth time. It may take 20 or 30 times before they'll finally respond to the truth. But they know that something's different when they hear the truth. We know the truth because of the discernment of the Holy Spirit. The more we know God, the more we're going to understand truth from lies. And it's very important to be able to get that discernment and be able to just listen. There have been times when somebody says that they want to do something or say something and I'm listening to it and I go, I don't know what's wrong with what they're saying, but something's wrong. And usually God will show me, and like I said, I'm real slow. He'll show me three or four hours after I've said no. agreed with him, no, we're not going to do it. But he goes, this is why. And I'm going, oh. (laughs) I'm glad I listened. But we listen to God and respond to him. Learn discernment. Learn to keep honor with him. Let's try to finish this last couple of verses. Verse 39. Again, they are minished and brought low through the oppression, affliction, and sorrow. He pours contempt upon the princes and causes them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. Yet sets he, up, sets he the poor on high from affliction and makes the, his families like a flock. So here he is again. He's going back to this contrast. Again, they are minished or made, made small and brought low through oppression, affliction, and sorrow. So again, he's talking about the evil. The evil are going to be brought low. And when we are disobedient, he brings us low. He makes sure that we're not going to stand. And we become like the prodigal son. We, go, we keep going down, down, down until we finally get to the bottom of where we're going to go. And say, God, you know, this is kind of silly. I, when I follow you, I'm blessed. And that's the picture of the prodigal son. He left a family and a father who was very righteous, even to the servants. He ends up working for a guy who's not feeding him and not giving him enough to be able to be feeding. He wants to eat the pig slop. And he comes to his senses, you know, hey, my dad's servants are better fed than I am. Here I am working with this guy and my dad's my dad's rich enough that he's really taking care of his servants. I'm going back. I want to go back and just be a servant. And of course, dad is not going to let him be a servant, but god oftentimes will let us go down and to this lowest level of slop that we want to deal with and say are you ready to come back yet i'm right here with my arms wide open to accept you and he says when they're being brought down he pours contempt on the princes all the good all the all the elite he goes and they wander in a wilderness where there is no way no path no road have you ever been there where you don't see a way or a road because you're not where you're supposed to be in the first place? You are in the middle of a wilderness in your life. And God's saying, just turn and I'm going to lift you up. I was talking to somebody this morning and they were going, you know, when I get down in the bottom, I have to crawl and, and, and climb my way out of the hole. I'm going, you know, my way, the way I do it is much simpler. I just, like, I just ask God to get me and he lifts me up out of the hole. You know, that's the biblical way. God is not saying, well, you put yourself in the hole, you dig yourself out. When we come to Him, He lifts us out of the hole, cleans us up, and puts us back on the path. That's God's way with His children. He does the work. That's what I love about God is it's all about Him. When I totally mess up, and I do that frequently... God comes along when I finally finally come to my senses and say, God, you know, I've really been dumb. Would you please please help me? He goes, okay, here. (laughs) Just lifts us up, returns us back to where we started. It is the most wonderful feeling to know that we have a Father that will do that for us. Number one, he never let go of us in the first place. But he says, I am going to take care of you. I will lift you up. Just turn to me. I'm your shepherd. I'm going to protect you. I'm the good shepherd. That when you go over the hill and you get lost, I will, I will find you. And sheep are just that dumb, really. Uh, if you, if they just go over the hill and can't see the rest of the sheep or the shepherd, they will, they will go crazy, buying and, and, and crying out. And they're only 20 feet away. They're down in a little ravine, but they can't see everybody else, and they'll panic. And I had, and I've told you, I had a friend who had sheep, and I would go to his house, and we'd have prayer. And all of a sudden, this one, these sheep would just be crying and screaming. He goes, one moment, i got to go help them around. And you had just a tiny, the hill wasn't even more than two, three, or four feet tall. It was just big enough that they could get behind it and not see the house. And they would get back there, and they would go nuts because they couldn't, you know. And he'd go, oh, i got to go call them over, and they'd call them over, and they'd be okay. But it was a great picture of how dumb sheep are, and yet we do the same thing. We just get around a little corner where we can't see the shepherd, and we go, oh, no, God, everything's wrong. And he goes, well, let me me bring you back over here to the rest of the flock. And he does that for us. He brings us over to the rest of the flock. And then he says he sets the poor on high from affliction and makes their families like a flock. He raises up the poor. He sets them up so that they are protected from these problems. The righteous shall see it and rejoice and all all iniquity shall stop her mouth. The righteous rejoice in what God does and the iniquity is quieted down. Whoso is wise and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of God. Christians understand the loving kindness of God when they really follow him and when they pay attention to him being the rescuer. All right, let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love us and care for us. Lord, you are the one that lifts us up. You are the shepherd that delivers and keeps us. And we just thank you and for all that you've done in your son's name. Amen.